Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Deep in the peaceful town of Liska, Iowa, lies a weathered old house at the end of a tranquil street. The surrounding areas boast a collection of churches, while the nearby park gazes upon the local middle school. Although this house blends in with the others in the neighborhood, a peculiar silence envelops it. The once vibrant structure now stands securely sealed as a small sign bearing the words, Villisca Axe Murder House stands as a solemn reminder of the chilling events that once unfolded within its walls. My name's Ben. And I'm Nicole, and you're listening to Wicked and Grim, a true crime podcast. I sure can. I don't know if it's coming through in the audio, but there's this train just going off in the distance. It was for your intro, and I was like, I hope they can hear it. That's kind of cool. But yeah, but it was annoying. I'm trying to record the intro. (laughs) But yeah, um, so there's this theory in the area where we live. When you can hear the train really clearly, it means it's going to rain. Rain soon. Yeah. Yeah. Because... The theory is that the sound bounces off the clouds and like you can hear it a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. So if it's clear skies, the sound just kind of dissipates. Okay. We upwards. can hear it quite well. So I'm wondering, are we going to get rain? There's a chance. Hopefully we, we do. might get rain. We need rain. We do. Um, living in British Columbia, our province is on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nicole even mentioned a tragic story of a 19 year old wildfire fighter who, um, tragically lost their lives so our yeah. condolences to their family for that that's just recently that it's yeah. a dangerous job and oh that must just be that's devastating it is um and it seems like every year our province is just getting worse and worse with how the fires are even other provinces like over in alberta um it's terrible mm-hmm. so if it rains tonight it's a godsend. Oh, yeah. So we did get some rain yesterday, right? An overnight, I think, a little bit. We did. Which is good. But it also came with thunder and lightning. Yes. That's which, not good. Which is not good. No. Um, what is good, though, apparently for us is we got chickens. <laughs> we so, got chickens. So look forward on our social media to seeing some chicken posts because <laughs> we have chickens Oh, now. I should actually, we should post that on our Instagram, hey, and our Facebook. We should. I got a photo. Yeah, we have six chickens now. Yeah. Living in a tiny home, just rocking with six chickens and two huskies and a black cat. Yeah. That's our life. Living our best life. Yeah, with a true crime podcast. Yeah. I can't complain. <laughs> Pretty good, actually. You but yeah. are obsessed with the chickens. Oh, I am. Yeah. 
um, Ben has very much so been like, don't get attached. They're not pets. They are farm animals. But, oh man, it's hard. Yeah, it he, is difficult. I would say five out of the six I'm not attached to. Or actually, okay, maybe four out of the six. It's in between that. There is one that I am attached to. Yeah. We The three of them were born on May 4th. Yep. So we Star have, Wars Day. We have named them Star Wars names. Yep. And there's this one little one named Leia. Leia. And she's a feisty little thing. <laughs> and she's the only one that really lets me pick her up. So I'm just smitten. Yeah. And the other smitten. two Star Wars names, Bo-Katan. Bo, yep. And Ahsoka. Yep. So those are the three Star Wars chickens. Um, we can still not tell two of the other ones apart, so they don't have names yet. Not well, until we can identify them. Yeah, but I still think they'll probably be thing one and thing two. Probably. We've been calling them that. There's blue, thing one, and thing two. So. <laughs> don't get attached to the chickens, except they all have names. Yeah, you can name them. Good gosh. I wanted to name them soup stock, but you wouldn't let me. <laughs> Anyways, um, we got a very interesting case coming today. We sure do. So this is one that has been requested time and time again. So here we are. This is the story of the Velisca Axe murders. You ready for this one? I am. Let's do her. Okay. So today's story begins with a loving family. It starts with Josiah B. Moore, who was 43, and his wife, Sarah, who was 39. The two of them were devoted parents uh, in a vibrant and loving family. Okay. So their family was, of course, known as the Moors. So together they had four children. They had Herman Montgomery, who was the oldest at 11 years old, Mary Catherine, who was 10, Arthur Boyd, who was seven, and Paul Vernon, who was five. The Moors seemed to have absolutely everything right. They had a nice home that was filled with love and laughter, and they were held in high regards within their community. Neighbors and friends just kind of looked on and loved it. It was kind of hard not to love what you saw within this family in their home. Okay. I think to me, like the Moors were the kind of family that you like, you want to hate them, but you can't because they're like, they're just too perfect. So you're envious of that. So you don't like hate them, but you like, oh, you, you strive to kind of... Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I get that. But it's also kind of... I think a lot of people, it's like the grass is greener on the other side oh, or whatever. So maybe it's not so good. That's true. That's you true. never know. The grass is generally greener on the other side. So always keep that in mind. Not greener. <clears throat> or sorry, not greener. Yeah. <laughs> not is. It's not. So this story takes place on the evening of June 9th in 1912. So little 10-year-old Mary Catherine Moore sent out a special invitation. She invited 8-year-old Ina May Stillinger and Lena Gertrude Stillinger, who was 12 years old. Okay. She invited them over to come over for a sleepover at their house. Nice. You know, a little get-together thing. I kind of miss those sometimes. <laughs> I mean, like, they were already friends, so it wasn't, like, exactly out of the blue or anything. Yeah. It was just kind of something that they were rolling with and, you know, hey, hey, come on over for a sleepover. Mm -hmm. So they were ready for it. It was going to be fun. They're going to come over to the Moore's family residence and just have a great time with friends. Mm -hmm. Earlier in the evening, 
the Moore family, along with the visiting two girls, decided to attend the local Presbyterian church together, where they all actively participated in a Children's Day program. Now, this was an event that was carefully coordinated by Sarah Moore, the mother of the household. Okay. Now, I kind of picture her as like a Martha Stewart type. I don't know, like... I don't mean that to be an insult. I mean more so like she's someone who like welcomes people into her home. Like, you know, there's always fresh baked mm-hmm. cookies out. Like she's putting together these events for the kids at the local church. Just seems like this like picturesque type mother figure. The house is probably always clean. Anyone could stop by at any time. That was our, was our, our issue was like, if you don't, if we didn't know you were coming over, like don't because our house is a mess. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, the program at the church finished up by 9.30 p.m., after which the Moore family, along with the two Stellinger sisters, took a walk back to their house. They strolled down the sidewalk back at the Moore house, arriving somewhere between 9.15 and 10 p.m. So the evening was going great. The church event went well. All the children loved it. They were having fun playing, just doing their thing. Everything was just perfect. Perfect with the evening, perfect with the community. It was just perfect. I don't like when things are described as perfect. No, because what generally when something is perfect, it is that grass is greener on the other side. Mm -hmm. It is not quite so Nothing's perfect. So in a grim twist of fate, however, this unassuming little white house held the seemingly perfect family inside, but it became the stage for a brutal act that would unfold this very summer night. Oh my goodness. Under the cover of darkness, and sometime shortly after midnight, an intruder broke into the Moore home and crept through the shadows of the unlit house as everyone slept within its walls. Josiah and Sarah Moore were upstairs in the bedroom, sound asleep, while their four children were in the room just down the hallway. The two Stillinger sisters were in a guest bedroom on the first floor and were the closest to the intruder as would be the very first bedroom that they would be, the intruder would be faced with. So this brings us to the following morning. Oh, Lord. And okay, people were sleeping over too, right? The two Stillinger sisters. They were sleeping yes, over. In the guest bedroom. Yes. Gosh. Okay. I hate when yeah. shit like that happens. So upstairs was the mother and father. Okay. Down the hall was the kids. And then downstairs on the first floor was the guest bedroom with the two sisters who were staying over. Yeah. Okay. So as the sun was rising into the sky in the neighborhood, the neighbor Mary Peckham was up at about 5 a.m. hanging laundry on her clothesline. By the time 7 a.m. rolled around, Mary began to grow a little concerned when she noticed that an uncharacteristic thing was occurring. The neighbors, the Moors, their house was still and quiet. By now, the family was typically awake and doing daily chores, and their unattended horses even were beginning to stir. Mm. So she decided to head over to the house and knock on the door. But there was no response. So Mary knew something wasn't right. So she, prob- she, she probably had a gut feeling too. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So what she did in react in reaction, she called Josiah's brother Ross to come over to see what was going on. So it was about 8:30 a.m. that Ross would arrive. 
in using his key, his own key mm-hmm. for the home, he would unlock the front door and step inside. Ross made his way through the house and starting with the guest bedroom, he found the two Stillinger sisters were brutally murdered in a horrific and gory and bloody scene. Proceeding through the house, they would find that every single person within the home was killed. Oh, no. They were all laying lifeless in bed, their bodies brutally bludgeoned in the head beyond recognition. The murder weapon was an axe. Mm -hmm. Yep. So. Wow. Okay. The thing that really gets me is, so say like you're having to go to someone's house because things are not normal, right? Yeah. And that moment when you're kind of going in, you probably are so hopeful like, oh, or making up things in your head like, oh, I'm sure this is why this is happening and and you wouldn't really necessarily go to like the super dark place, right? Yeah, because you're you're not in your comfort zone. So those little creaks of a house, those little groans and noises in the night, usually you're familiar with your apartment, your house, or wherever you're sleeping. You know the noises. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a strange atmosphere, even if it's somewhere you've slept before, you don't know the noises yet. So that creak you could think would be, oh, that's just like the house settling. Or that yeah. might be just the cat walking down the hall. I more so meant like the brother, though, having to enter the house. Oh, I see. Yeah, enter this and kind of having this feeling of, okay, like things are going to be okay, but in the back of your mind, like you're maybe wondering. Gotcha. And then coming upon a, se- a scene like this. No, yeah, that, uh, uh, yeah, no, no thanks. Yeah. Um, Yeah, well, when he did find the whole scene, and of course, police were quickly notified and an investigation did ensue. Mm-hmm. Um. There was a lot of chilling facts about what went on with inside this this house this night. Um, one of the most chilling facts about it actually is uh, they were able to surmise that regarding the sequence of murders within the uh, Moore household, they found that the parents had fallen victim to the strange assault first. Okay. So the parents, their bedroom was upstairs. So what would have to happen... Whoever it was who entered the home systematically killed each and every occupant. They made their way to the second floor where Josiah and Sarah were sleeping and attacked them first. Well, I mean, that kind of makes sense, though, that you would want the adults gone first. So put it this way. How did they know where the parents were? I know. I was wondering that as well. There's a lot to this. Mm -hmm. Not only that, how did they make it there without being heard? Mm Mm-hmm. But I I also, I was just going to say, like, I feel like kids, they sleep heavier, though, often, too. Don't you think? That's true. So maybe they maybe just honestly didn't hear. Yeah, that is true. Well, as I mentioned, the murder weapon that was used in this case was, of course, an axe, as per the title says. Mm -hmm. Um, And this axe was apparently swung at the sleeping victims with such intensity that at one point in mid-swing, it struck the ceiling above the bed where the two slept as the weapon rained down on them, leaving a deep gouge in the ceiling behind. Oh, whoa. That is a visual. Wow. So Josiah Moore had endured over 30 brutal strikes from the axe before the attacker was finished with him. Seriously? 30? 30. Whoa. And the target for for each strike was the head. 
Oh my gosh. So regardless of the amount of strikes, each and every victim in the home would be left completely unrecognizable because it was the target of their head. Their face was basically left to be a mashed void of just carnage left behind from the attack. Wow. Yeah. Holy that. Okay. First of all, like an ax is such, such a weapon of like of choice. Like that's just unbelievable to me that, that that's what someone chooses. Mm -hmm. And then to literally go down like because i've chopped wood before right it's freaking hard i couldn't imagine like yeah doing that 30 times to someone well that it almost a, seems like that's an overkill and that they have like a hatred towards this person it's there's something else there i don't know if it's hatred towards that person but a hatred or taking out of something because i mean you can have um some anger towards someone else that you could be taking out yeah or something else yeah i and mean it could be that you could be thinking that's almost a representation of like your parents or something and then taking it out potentially right so after the attack though was finished on the parents they then backtracked through the house with almost an unearthly familiarity through the home because they knew where the parents were and then went to the children next and then they visit the stillings stillinger sisters so another little eerie and bone chilling piece of this puzzle with the the investigators were able to determine that each victim was found to be killed in their sleep. They were all sleeping when killed, including both the parents. Oh, wow. Yes. How does that work? Hey, no idea, but that ax rained down one by one on each person. No one woke up. So there's except no for one, no screams or anything. Correct. So the last room that he would have entered, or they would have entered, my apologies, um, contained the Stillinger sisters. Lena Stillinger, who was 12 years old, was found to have a potential defensive womb on her arm that was laid in a way that suggested that she would have potentially been trying to protect herself from the bloodied axe that was being swung down on her as she laid in bed. Wow. So it was her left arm that had a laceration on the forearm area. Though mm -hmm. So it was like covering her face? Correct. And it was laying in a way that suggests that she may have been trying to defend herself such how she would have gained the wound. Yeah. You know, it sure takes a freaking complete monster to, I mean, it's terrible killing anyone, but to go about like also killing the kids, like these young kids that really have, would have posed no threat. Yeah. Is just. Especially, okay, they're asleep. Yeah. Like why? Yeah. So what's the motive? Is it a vendetta of some sort? But Are you just taking out anger? If it's a Is it random? If it's a vendetta, like then it should just mostly be to the parents, you would think. What you would think. What on earth would the kids have done? Who knows? So amidst this whole ghastly state of bodies, another disturbing aspect unfolded as the police meticulously combed through the residence. The killer had orchestrated a kind of macabre ritual after slaying everyone. So they had covered the faces of the deceased parents with sheets and then also covered the faces of the children uh, with articles of clothing. So I wonder if it's almost like that the killer didn't like looking at it. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, but not only that, every single mirror and every single window throughout the house was also meticulously covered with cloth and towels. 
Hmm. So we also, this person also didn't like looking at themselves. Maybe. Huh. One of the strangest facts about this case, um, a slab of uncooked bacon weighing approximately two pounds was wrapped in a dish towel and found in the Stillinger sister's bedroom where they were sleeping. Really? Yes. A slab of two pound uncooked bacon wrapped in a towel. A little odd for a find. Yeah, but maybe that could have been something they had brought. The the little girls? Yeah. I highly doubt it. I don't know. It seems weird that a killer would leave that in one of the bedrooms. Also seems weird that a little girl would just take (laughs) that over to a friend's house for a sleepover. But I mean, who am I to judge? I've never been to a little girl sleepover. So finally, inside the home, police also found a bowl of water that was stained red with blood. Investigators surmised the murderer had used this bowl to clean themselves up before leaving the scene of the heinous crime. So as news of the brutal incident spread across the town of about 2,000 residents, it was all anyone could talk about. A crowd began to assemble outside the Moore house, which, of course, detracted the attention of many of the investigators on the scene, like such as police, coroner, minister, several doctors, etc., right? And although officials cautioned the townspeople against entering the premise whatsoever, their morbid fascination proved absolutely overwhelming. And they began wandering inside the home. Seriously? And while the bodies and stuff were still in there? Even with the bodies still in there. People would just go in. Yes. There were even. Actual fuck. There were even reports of people handling the murder weapon posing in front of the bodies. What? Yes. This isn't like a museum. I can't even speak, but it's not like an exhibit. Exhibit. No, it's not. It's a murder scene. What the fuck? It's estimated that approximately 100 individuals succumbed to their morbid curiosity and ventured into the home throughout the crime scene. Wow. And of course, it's probably needless to say that they contaminated it horribly. Yes. Big time. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I guess like they back then they wouldn't have had true crime podcasts and stuff that they could listen to that kind of eases that curiosity. But still, also, I'm confused of why they were even able to get in there in the first place. I don't know. I don't know um, exactly why they were able to enter the premise. I would assume that authorities would be deterring people from entering, not only Mm -hmm. deterring, but preventing. Mm hmm. But it seems that they just were able to enter anyways. Maybe police were not caring too much. Maybe police were overwhelmed. Well, yeah, I guess it's a really, it was a small town. Yeah. They probably had never dealt with anything like this before. No, they probably didn't have many police officers on scene. Maybe they only had two officers there. Mm-hmm. Maybe two officers are the ones trying to take care of this and people are just entering willy nilly as the officers have their back turned. Jeez, almost probably, oh, I know these people, like, kind of, you know. Um, There was also a a report that I found that one of the townspeople even seized a fragment of Josiah's skull as a macabre keepsake. Wow. Yeah. That just seems mind-blowing to me. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. 
And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Whoa, like almost really morbid. Well, yeah. That they would just want to go in there and touch the murder weapon and keep souvenirs. Like what the? Yeah. Uh, so of course the search for the culprit behind the murder that would of course become infamously known as the Velisca axe murders, um, proved to be an arduous task for the authorities who found themselves alarmingly short on leads and dealing with a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Crime scene, contaminated crime scene. Mm -hmm. There we go. Yeah. So despite making an apparently like half-hearted attempt to scour the town is words like kind of a description that I've been seeing. So not really putting full effort into it, really. Uh, search through the town and surrounding countryside. Most officials believe that the killer had actually managed to elude capture, mostly due to the substantial five-hour head start. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So kind of the murder occurred in the middle of the night. Yep. Took off out of town. Police are five hours behind. He's already gone. God knows where. Yeah. Yeah. Some bloodhounds, though, were brought in as an attempt to aid the search, but because of all the townspeople treading all over the crime scene, it was absolutely impossible for the dogs to get a scent on the culprit, let alone a scent trail leading out. So whether or not it's from a contaminated crime scene or not, authorities were left with little to no evidence pointing towards who could have done this horrendous crime. Several suspects did emerge over time, but none of them yielded any substantial results. Hmm. So I, I do have a list of suspects and some theories here that we're going to go over in a second. Okay. And I'm, I'm assuming a lot because it seemed like this person may have known them. Potentially. Which could also have been a reason why they didn't scream because they could have just been like waking up or whatever and then seeing someone they know, which would have kind of it would have made them not scream quite as quickly. But it was surmised everyone was killed in their sleep. So they weren't oh, waking right, up. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Okay. So Which not I quite. I don't even quite understand how they would have done that when people were sleeping in the same bed. But Yeah, I, I don't understand it either. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, he, he she, whatever, because we don't, don't know. No, they. Um, They wouldn't have been able to put this ax down on someone 30 times and then move on to the next person. They, I feel like they would have had to kill one swing to the man, then the woman yeah, and then go back and like, yeah, go to town or whatever. unless it was one, one swing on the mother, then a swing on the father repeated 30 times and then back to the mother or who knows. But yeah, yeah there would have been mixing and matching of some sort. Mm -hmm. So Anyways, on to the individuals, the suspects, and the theories. You ready for this? Mm -hmm. So the first individual who was under scrutiny was a man by the name of Frank Jones. He was a local businessman who had been engaged in a competitive rivalry with Josiah, is a nice way we'll say it here. So Josiah had spent seven years working for Frank Jones in the farm equipment sales industry before Josiah left to establish his own competing company. Oh, okay. So rumors circulated that Josiah had engaged in an affair with Frank's daughter-in-law, but these reports were 
kind of unsubstantiated. Hmm. So, however, some townspeople maintained that an animosity grew between Moore and the Jones families, although no one would admit that it had escalated or anything to the point of murder, specifically. And that's kind of where that lies. It was specific. It was just speculation on the potential of Frank Jones because of a feud between yeah. the two families. Well, I mean, it, it makes sense, I guess, in this where he doesn't want competition, right? But that does seem like that's kind of going next level here to go and murder that many oh, people. definitely. With an axe, for yeah. God's sakes. But especially, like, it's not only competition, but it, you look at it this way. If Frank did teach Josiah everything he knew or even gave resources to where you like where you purchase the farm equipment to resell it. Mm -hmm. So your, your dealers and everything. And then Josiah leaves and uses all that information against him. Well, now his family is probably being like losing money because he taught someone else and right. he's using that in leverage against. So it's kind of like this vicious, like something that's going to eat you up inside. Like how could I have taught him this and how could he take this and do this to me? Like probably a feeling of he was stabbed in the back. Exactly. Yeah. So now I don't know the specifics of the relationship between the two and how like the, their business life went. I don't know mm -hmm. if Frank did teach him a shit ton or anything, yeah. but that is a potential way of how it could have gone. Yeah. It makes sense. It makes sense, but not necessarily to the extent of the crime. No. So a second suspect, appearing far more promising, even confessed to the murders. Oh, wow. Albeit later retracted the confession claiming um, police coercion. Okay. Well, we've heard of that before. Yep. So the man is Reverend Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly. So Reverend George uh, is an English immigrant and traveling minister, self-ordained, in fact, actually, who had a history of deviant sexual behavior and mental issues. Um, they emerged as a person of interest, specifically because of their history. Okay. So George openly admitted to being present in Villisca, the town, on the night of the axe murders and acknowledged his early morning departure. So while his small stature and timid demeanor led some to doubt his involvement, there were certain factors that police considered compelling in establishing him as a prime candidate. So George was left-handed. A conclusion drawn from blood spatter analysis indicated that the perpetrator shared this trait. They were also left-handed. Okay. Additionally, George had, had a known connection to the Moore family, as many had witnessed him apparently observing the family during church services, and apparently as well while they were out doing their daily lives around town. Hmm. Furthermore... A nearby dry cleaner had received blood-stained garments from George a few days after the murder. Whoa. It was reported that he even approached the police, masquerading as a Scotland Yard officer, requesting access to the crime scene. Okay, but those clothes, I feel like, would be drenched. I think so as well. Not just like some blood splatter on there. Yeah, and I couldn't find any more information on that kind of dry cleaning incident, how much blood or anything. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling, well, I don't know if the clothes were actually washed. You know, I'm not too sure what kind of evidence would there be 
It would just be really hearsay. Well, and I also just feel like whoever did this would discard of their clothes and not bring them to the dry cleaner. You know? I mean, this is early 1900s, though, too. It's 1912. Yeah. Wow, did I just say early 1900s? Ugh. You would just throw them in the garbage, I think. Maybe. I mean. Hard to say. Yeah, We are kind of talking like farm life 1912 here, right? A little I bit guess. different. Yeah, you could just be like, oh, I had a, I had a murder, or not murder, but I had to put I, down or kill some cows or something. Oh, I just had a murder. Now I need my shit washed. <laughs> just real casual about it. Um, so during a prolonged interrogation with George Kelly, uh, he eventually signed a detailed confession outlining his involvement in the crime. However, it was, of course, redacted. Uh, in court... A jury declined to indict or sorry, indict him um, based on any available evidence because, well, there was none. So he was acquitted on all charges after two trials, and the mystery of the Vliska Axe murder persisted. Persisted. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Let's keep going here. Another theory implicated Senator Jones, who allegedly hired a man by the name of William quote, Blackie Mansfield to carry out the murders. So Mansfield, I'll call him Mansfield by his last name, suspected of being a cocaine addicted serial killer. Oh, geez. Had been linked to similar acts murders in Colorado Springs and other locations. Detective James Newton Wilkins believed Mansfield was responsible for various killings due to the striking similarities in their execution. Now, despite some compelling evidence, Manfield's alibi, supported by payroll records, placed him in Illinois at the time of the Villisca murders. Ultimately, Mansfield was released due to insufficient evidence. Okay, shit. Because what I was thinking is that <clears throat> I was going to ask if there had been kind of similar other murders like this. Um, I don't know, because it doesn't seem like this would have been someone's necessarily first time. But also, do you know why the senator, was it the senator, would have hired a hitman? I'm not too sure. Okay. I didn't really dive too deep into it because it was kind of like, well, it's like a falsified kind yeah. of, or a proven false theory. So I was like, eh. But it could, it could make sense that this was a hitman too. Like not saying that, that it's that, but it could be someone else or something. But you still need a motive. So if it is a hitman of some sort, why? Well, it could have been that biz- other business owner who hired a hitman, maybe. Frank, yeah. Possibly. Possible. I mean, there are a lot of theories out there basically on who could have been like the true killer behind this. Um, there is another one. For example, uh, Henry Lee Moore. No relation to the okay. Moore family. Um, he was another axe-wielding serial killer that became a person of interest due to resemblance in the crimes. But again, there's no real evidence for it. Um, Another is Sam Moyer, who's Josiah's brother-in-law. He was raised in suspicion due to report reported threats against Josiah's life. However, through investigation later, they cleared him of any involvement. Hmm. Additionally, Paul Mueller who is an immigrant, is believed to be connected to a series of murders across the United States, including this axe murder case. So he was identified as a possible suspect by two authors, Bill James and Rachel McCarthy James, in their book, The Man from the Train. I did not get a chance to read the book. I so want to now. 
Um, but unfortunately, none of these theories, including this one from the book, has any substantial evidence to really bring anything forward to prove anything and show any individual to be the one responsible. Hmm. So they just have basically no one. Pretty much. And I mean, so much time has passed. It's This is just probably, it would be a freaking miracle if this ever got solved. Yeah, you would probably need physical evidence with like a diary of someone writing it back in the day or something like that. Like, you know, where someone yeah. finds like their great grandpa's, I don't know, trunk of things from back in the day on the farm. And inside there's a diary of how he describes this taking place and he was the one things like that you know yeah yeah which i mean could potentially happen i guess there never is never there is but it's yeah the chances are pretty slim hmm. basically and to be honest none of those theories really stood out to me that that much no not so much which sucks the one reverend is pretty much the the one with the most substance to it yeah but why i mean yeah, all of them is kind well, of why. Well, that individual is one of the few out of this case where it's, they have history. They have a history. They were in town mm -hmm. and they were seen actually looking at the watching or whatever, the yeah. Moore family. And yeah. then, I mean, it was coerced, but there was a confession, but it was redacted. Hmm. So that is the one that's the most compelling as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Not saying it's, yeah, evidential, you know, but. I still think it was some sort of hitman. I, that's sort of my thought, but I don't know who necessarily hired. It's possible. Um, and I mean, like over time, like this is a case that's over a hundred years old. So it basically just fizzled out, grew cold, and there's not really anything anyone can bring forward for the case. Uh, the murder house as the Moore house, which is now called the Velisca Axe murder house, was basically just left abandoned. Its doors were left tightly sealed. No attempts were made to sell the property and the original layout remained untouched. Today, the house stands as a solemn tourist attraction nestled at the end of the tranquil street while life carries on around it. Can you actually go in the house now, I wonder? You can. Really? Yeah, it's a tourist attraction. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Though that story may be lost to history, the Maliska house itself is more than just a tourist attraction though. For those who are curious and intrigued in this case, it's not the end of it. It has become a paranormal hotspot. Really? It has. That's not surprising. Yeah. So many people travel from around the world to visit this site in hopes of not only, you know, visiting the axe murder house of Velisca, mm -hmm. but potentially to see some ghosts. Wow. Some are actually even granted the opportunity to perform paranormal investigations after hours, which is pretty dope. I'd love to go there and do yeah, that. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Okay. Well. I mean, I'd go there, but I don't know if I'd want to be trying to play around with that. I'd, oh yeah. That's well, terrifying. Yeah. So the spirits that are said to reside within uh, kind of vary depending on who you're talking to. Uh, or articles you read or TV mm -hmm. shows you watch or whatever, right? But typically it's a combination of the following victims of the murder, the person who committed the, the murders and various dark and malicious spirits. Okay. So, needless to say though, this story is one of those more famous and well-known cases in the United States. And of course it's kind of understandable why 
It's very gruesome and it's kind of growing more and more to this day because it's evolved into this paranormal story. Yeah. So I have a feeling that it's going to be one of these more famous cases Hmm. for a long time to come. Well, yeah. And it's just really too bad though. Like the whole family just got taken out and then it was the night of a sleepover as well. Like, oh, I hate events like that where people, you know, you're really, really just in the wrong place place at the the wrong wrong time. time. Gosh. Yeah. Like those parents are, they, I imagine they, you know, gosh, like why did I let them go sleep over? Right. And they didn't do anything wrong. Like nothing wrong, but it just, gosh, like could something have come up where like they couldn't end up going or whatever. Right. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, I mean, life is like that, right? One decision can lead to something completely different, whether it's good or bad. And it could be years later that that one decision makes an impact yeah totally for example if you're at a starbucks okay just Mm -hmm. bear with me here you're at a starbucks you're waiting in line for the coffee the line's rather long and you look outside and you see a coffee shop across the street one that's just opened up a little local one there's no one really there well do you wait in line for your starbucks coffee that you know you like that you get every day or do you cross the street and go to this little unknown one and roll the dice and see if it's a good shop or not okay you decide not to go over the coffee shop. You're just going to wait in line and keep doing your thing. And that's exactly what happens. You wait in line, get your coffee, and you go on to work with your day. And your day just continues as it normally does. However, in the event that you do cross the street and you go to this coffee shop, you find out that it's better than Starbucks. Mm. You love it. Okay? Mm -hmm. So you start going there instead. Say it's just as popular as Starbucks in a few months, right? So it doesn't matter which one you go to anymore. But you like this one. You're going to stick it out. You love it. And support local. It's a locally owned one. All of a sudden, three years later, hey, someone starts working there that you kind of like. You start talking with them. You start flirting with them. All of a sudden, oh my God, you start dating with them. And oh my God, you're married and you're having kids. All because guess what? You cross the fucking street. And Well, honestly, so many things in a person's life. It can go that way. Yeah. Where you're like, wow, if I just change this or or whatever. Yeah. So you, you can't look back and say, well, what if, what if, could have, should have, no. what like. No. No, you can't. Yeah. It's, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's like that for a reason. Yeah. I mean, gosh, it sure just doesn't seem like that family deserved this. It's like, I almost feel like I wish I could know more. Like what on earth because it also seemed like the person who was doing it could potentially have known the house and known them, which it's is potential. Like really fucked. Or what if, and bear with me here, devil's advocate, what if, like you said, kids sleep a little heavier? What if they know, okay, I need to take out the parents first? Because parents are going to probably wake up, but they're the most likely to, you know, and one-on-one, mm-hmm. I'll have a harder time with. So I need yeah. to take them out first. So they go in the house, they're creeping around, they peek in the bedroom. Yeah, they kids, kids. Go to the next one. Yeah. It, that's kids. Oh, here's the adults. Because I mean, like parents are always peeking in kids' bedrooms to kind of make sure they're asleep and stuff, right? So kids, I feel like, are used to that sort of thing. Yeah. Or what if the person was scoping out the house and they saw the parents in the window when they were going to sleep and they just waited an hour after they went to sleep or whatever? And, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Just brutal. Yeah. So that's the story of the Vliska Axe murders. Hmm. It was... Very interesting case. Very interesting case. Um, thank, thank you for those who recommended it. Yeah. I think we had probably a couple dozen people rec- recommend it to us over the course of the last year at least. So 
Well, I've definitely heard of this case, mostly the title, I think probably from just recommendations, but I've never like listened to any podcasts or read up on it at all. So, wow. I mean, I just freaking hate these unsolved ones though. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot out there. I mean, consider how many murders, crimes all occur. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you it's a small fraction that actually gets solved. I feel like it has to be at least half. I don't think so. Really? Hey, I don't think so. I wonder what the stats are on that. I would feel like it would be at least half, but yeah, maybe not. It should be for the love of God. Don't go murder people. No, don't. I mean, cause I feel like it's got to. I feel like more get solved than not. I don't know. Oh, I, I don't, don't know. know. Gosh, that's, that's a disturbing way to end this podcast. <laughs> wow. Sorry. Should I, should I not have said that? I mean, I'm going to look that up now. Yeah. I mean, I really hope that it is more in the line of pe- of being solved and people serving the time. Yeah. I hope that's the case. My gut's just telling me that it, it's the other way around. Yeah. Well, I mean, because lots of times there's missing people too. Exactly. The chances are like they may be, you know, are no longer here, unfortunately. So. Yeah. And it could be just someone who just did something bad and got away with it. Mm-hmm. Well, they say that, wh- what's the saying? It's like you walk by everyone walks by a murderer in their life or something at least oh, once yeah. or something i'm gonna look that up or isn't it what's that one the seven degree separation or something that's all oh yeah but i have heard this walking by a murderer thing and lots of times it could be people who too you like least expect least expect it to be. yeah exactly the average person, this is by the New York Post, the average person walks past 36 murderers in Whoa. their lifetime. Yeah, sleep on that one. That's yeah. scary. Yeah, okay, that was much higher than I thought. Holy That's fuck. That's real scary. Huh. Okay, well, we got to go put some chickens in their coop. We do. It's getting dark outside. They got to go to bed. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you guys have any more recommendations, hit us up. If you want to check out our social medias where we're going to be posting some pretty much well, pretty much some pretty awesome YouTube videos here soon. Mm-hmm. All the links are down there. We got Patreon. We got Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We'll be doing a chicken coop building video on YouTube because why <laughs> the fuck not? Um, yeah, all the links are down there. We appreciate you guys being here. You're absolutely awesome. And of course, as always, stay wicked. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.